Ready, brother? Yes, sir. One, two, three. Okay. All right. We're doing it. Here we are. Quarantine edition. In my backyard. We were gonna do a Zoom session, but instead you had a really good idea in which we could maintain our social distance. I've been very um, not interested in doing um, like Instagram Live or Zoom things because I find the technology to be distracting and less intimate. So I was putting it off. But then we wrote a great song over Zoom, which we'll get into later. And um, so I was leaning towards breaking this rule by having you be the Zoom call. But instead you had this idea and now here we are. Give me a quarantine dap, bro. Sup, dude. So we're here yeah. right now with my good homie, label mate, yep. friend, um, Zero, Matt. Hello. My friend Matt, professionally known as Zero. Um, if you don't know, you should know, you will know. Pause this video now. Go listen to some, some heat. You're a guy. You're a good Re guy. Return to the video now. Good to see you again. Pretty sick, right? So let's start this episode with a brief, who are you? Who am I? Uh, well, I am a, I'm an artist from the Philadelphia area. I, uh, I've been making music since, you know, 10 years old, like you have as well, I believe. And um, yeah, we just, uh, I don't know. I don't know, how, how do you do these? How do you, how do you talk about yourself? It's pretty tough. I think you have to find some kind of like blend between your Wikipedia bio and just like your honest opinions on why anyone should give a fuck. But yeah. um, the context in which we met for the first time was really funny. We met for the first time right after I had filmed my first and only to date appearance on late night television which is not online anymore anywhere it was taken down you can't find it anywhere yo seth myers hit me up bro we got to talk about this shit fuck you seth myers i'm no, kidding we're still cool man i need, I need you bro we're good we're good <laughs> i didn't say that um, i didn't say it either but yeah so we met through um my manager had been uh our manager amit who is uh a very integral part of my journey and I know he's a big part of yours I remember for a while he was talking about you and his vision for um, blending some of the genres that we had been blending but leaning even more into hip-hop and and rap um, taking it in an even more aggressive direction and so we met when I was like really feeling on top of the world that night I was uh very much riding a high, and um, ever since then, I've been watching your steady ascension. And for the most part, I've been very, uh, I've been very happy about watching that. There have been times where, when my journey has been up and down, when I get low, there are times where I get a little jealous or like competitive with the way that because we have the same team, the time that they spend. But I know ultimately. My life is better and everyone's life is better when I am just genuinely happy for everybody else. But it's so funny. I distinctly remember this one time where I was um, going to Warner 
records for like a gig or something for like a a, a label party and uh, I showed up early and the whole team was there having that meeting with you right before me <laughs> and I'm not gonna lie I did feel some type of way about that I did make my feelings heard I do remember <laughs> that our mutual A&R I'll never let him live this down he took a picture with the two of us and was like, wow, it's like the old school and the new school. I was like, bro, you signed me like 16 months ago. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, oh, man, I hated that. But at the same time, I also am just regardless of how things go, I know that you've just been a really good dude through and through. And, and your music has just steadily been rising. So why don't you take us from the beginning of, I know you said you were making music when you were 10 years old. Talk about the environment that you grew up in. Talk about family, how that relates to how you make music. And talk about transitioning from being a rapper to, to um, this. an alternative artist, which I can certainly relate to. Yeah. Um, yeah, my mom actually sent me a video today of me, like, at, like, I don't know, like 10 years old, rapping a verse. And I was like, don't ever send this to me again. I don't ever want to see this again. She loves it, but I've... It'll be in the Netflix doc someday. Yeah, she said something along the lines of that. You know, she's she's a mom. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up, I, I grew up, uh, as far as I can remember back, like two years old, my mom met my stepdad. So my dad wasn't really in my life due to drugs and shit, you know what I mean? Um, don't really want to spend the whole time talking about that. But, um, you know, that, that kind of thing is, I guess, like a angering part of your life you know when someone especially a parent or someone is like not available for you eventually overdose died when I was like 16 and uh you know he's always a good guy but kind of you know the anger thing and I feel like that's kind of where music would let me express that feeling you know what I'm saying because I'm not an angry person at all but um it's a uh, yeah, it's it's easy to let shit out over music, and I've kind of always just dealt with everything that way. Um, and then to get into the actual making of the music, when I was like fucking ten, maybe, uh, my brother was had this Meek Mill CD that he bought from Meek Mill, I believe, and uh, was playing it all the time. And I was like, bro, that's crazy. I am Meek Mill. I feel like I am Meek Mill. I gotta be. I listen to it all the time. So then um, that, and then the Carter Two. And then, like, Slipknot's first album from my dad. Because I did see my dad a lot growing up when, like, you know, supervised visits or whatever. Uh, he took me to a Red Jumpsuit Apparatus concert for my first concert ever. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's kind of my, my main influences, I would say, is, like, Lil Wayne, uh, Meek Mill, and Slipknot, you know? Yeah. The, the embodiment that of That would be a really three. interesting dinner party for sure. Yeah, I'm going to invite them all over. <laughs> See how Corey um, and the guys feel about Meek and uh, Wayne. There are two things there, that I, the two different like paths that I totally resonate with. Number one, like, I totally know that feeling from my earliest memories of, like, listening to In the End by Linkin Park or, like, um, Renegades by Eminem and Jay-Z. I always remember feeling this really instinctual um, connection to these artists that I thought was really normal, but I later learned was actually, like, that other people don't feel. Like, lots of people hear music and never feel this um, 
urge to have a conversation. For me, that was like the most obvious thing in the world. Like, okay, this person said something. I should say something back yeah, now. Like, for sure. I totally have had that um, relationship with music, but a lot of people never do. And I definitely at times have maybe taken that for granted. And I think that a lot of people watching will have some um, parts of that story, whether it's addiction, um, uh, losing a, a loved one to addiction or um, uh, d d family um, issues in their life who don't have music. And uh, when you have you on your path ever met people that don't have an outlet as cathartic as music? Um, what would you say to somebody who might be going through those things who hasn't found their passion the way that music was so um, in your life and so omnipresent from when you were like 10 years old? Yeah, um, I know. I, I, don't, I think most people I know don't have any outlet for their feelings. That's why everybody's fucking depressed and shit all the time. You know what I mean? I feel like I don't know how I would be if I didn't do music or whatever, but I've never been sad as a person, never been angry, never been depressed about, and I feel like because there's something inside of me that's like gets let out doing music and shit, not to sound fucking corny, you know what I mean? Um, and for people that don't have an outlet, I, I don't know, where, where, where do you normally, yeah, what it's would really you normally tough. tell someone? Yeah, it's, it's hard to, I mean, if, I feel like therapy is, uh, something that gets put down a lot as like being weak but i feel like that's just fucking helpful because the only people you ever talk to are people who know you and can judge you yeah you know what i mean i feel like people need to i think that the biggest thing that i always tell people if they haven't found that thing is to just keep trying shit because i believe maybe this is naive of me but i do believe that everyone has something you know i i do believe that and I don't think that that thing needs to be gauged. Like, don't judge whether that thing is your thing off of if you can make money doing it or oh, if you no, can be the best yeah, at it in not. the world. Like, judge whether something's your thing if you can really let go of the world while you're occupied doing it. And then that's your thing, you know. But I always encourage people to just not give up on having the courage to imagine themselves having that sort of outlet, that sort of therapy. Um... This is one question I had when I was driving over. You know, a lot of people that I talk to, they were they come from um, backgrounds of all sorts. But I feel that you know, growing up, I was growing up like middle class. I had access to guitar lessons yeah. from a relatively early age. I had my university tuition, albeit in college, for a tenth of the cost. But <laughs> nonetheless, my my family helped me pay for that. I was not, like, saddled with student debt. And because I didn't have these huge loans to pay off, I was able to move to Los Angeles, and I didn't have to get a job, like, flipping pizzas or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I could just pursue music and spend a couple of years just trying to make shit that nobody gave a fuck about until I found Grandson. I'm curious if the language around pursuing your dreams is in some way privileged or like if there is classist discrimination like do you the environment that you coming up from do you think that asking people like oh just follow your dreams just chase your dreams does that take on a different context when you have less opportunities to just pursue different things take different classes because when i tell people oh just keep trying things 
Like, part of that is, like, why don't I buy some photography? I'll buy myself a camera. Oh, now I don't really like photography. Let right. me pick up Trial and piano. Trial is, is yeah, a money and, thing. Yeah, exactly. What do you think about the language on social media, the, the language we have about the way that we put chasing your dreams and the pursuit of your dreams, we put it on this pedestal like everyone's expected to do it. Um, do you think that that is like exclusionary based on your, the way that you grew up, which is different from how I grew up? No, no, not at all. I, I mean, you got to remember there's, there's everybody going back to Meek Mill once again. He didn't, you know I mean? He didn't have anything growing up. He didn't have, he didn't have a dad. You know what I mean? He was just him, single parent, um, no money in Philadelphia. And I feel like if you have an innate passion, I feel like that's where it's different, okay? I feel like if you, if you don't have something that you're passionate about already and you want to experiment with, do I like photography? Do I like this? Do I like that? It's like, then okay. You, you definitely need some sort of financial backing for that. But as far as if you have an innate passion in you or something that drives you immediately without, like you said, when you hear music, you're like, okay, I have to say something, right? The people that feel that way about whatever it is they do, basketball from an early age, they play all the way through high school. And if they're good enough, they go to college and then the NBA or however it goes. Same thing with music. If, you, if you're innately, you know, passionate about music from birth or from, you know, whenever the fuck that time comes, I don't think financial limiting is it goes against that I don't do you know what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. like I feel like if you are the trial and error guy then yeah you probably should be upper class where you can just buy a $2,000 camera buy a $3,000 laptop and if you don't like it go do something else with another $5,000 if the money is like readily available if not and you have that passion that you're born with I feel like there's no social limiting yeah, and there's a lot it. of different ways to experiment and dip your toes in with, like, you know, um, my girlfriend told a story where she thought she wanted to get into music production. So on her birthday in high school, she went to her dad with this list of, like, all these softwares and all the shit she needed. And he said, why don't we get you the trial versions? Why don't you take a week? And if you love this stuff, and if you can't get enough of it, then we'll start figuring out how to how to get all those things. Sounds like a smart guy. Smart guy, and <laughs> she ended up pretty smart too. Um, I want to talk about that that transition. So you start making music, you start putting out hip hop songs, you build some buzz in your city. Um, I've spoken to other artists that have gone one direction artistically and then gone another. I'm certainly one of them. But I feel like you really had some momentum going. You really had um, a a bit more to lose than I I, I think that I did when I made that pivot. Like, I didn't really have much in the way of fans or anything. So when I I had this idea to start putting together this project, it was kind of like, you know, fuck Fuck it. it. What's the worst (laughs) that could happen? I could end up right here with no fans and no money. So talk about... Um, what it meant to like risk that audience and have you had moments where you doubted yourself in that transition and, and where you're at with it now? You know, me uh, is very comforting. So he's, he's uh, a very easy transitional piece. You know what I mean? He, he definitely will make you feel like shit's going to go well. This is our manager. Our manager. Yeah, you said that. I don't know. People, I don't know. Go on. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, making the transition. I was making my whole living off of this shit. Like, you know, I, I laid tile for three, four years. Well, I was a helper to laying tile for about three, four years. I did it every day. 11th grade summer, I left class early every single day, 12th grade, and then for like three years after high school. And then I finally started picking up traction on Spotify and shit like that, like, you know, 400,000 monthly or whatever. Um, did like, you know, 12 million plays in the that first year that I gained try. I didn't need a job anymore. I was making more money than I ever have been. And then Amit was like, yo, why don't we delete it all and like start new? Because that's what you were talking about, what you wanted to do. And it's very, it was scary. It was definitely scary. I, you know, I had like 85,000 YouTube subscribers. Like I had a lot of shit going. Um, but, you know, he was kind of telling me when I was telling him what I wanted to do with it, start going heavier with the music, start getting away from rapping on every single song because anybody with a mic does can do that now. You know what I mean? And I feel like building the production up bigger was a process and rebranding myself to another name. Um, it, it was just a lot. And it was, I kind of always wanted to do it, but you're definitely scared of losing your livelihood that you just spent your whole life trying to gain. Um, I had music on Spotify before I even knew what it was because you select all stores when you upload that shit for iTunes or whatever. Um, but the, and then the, you know the transition was pretty. It wasn't. It was wasn't rough at all because the first song we did that you helped me right um, came out and it it started doing great immediately. Um, and then I definitely had a lot of people mad at me. You know I still get like, yo man, you're the fucking worst. You should definitely not do this. And it doesn't really bother me, but it definitely makes me think um, how much longer this is going to be because hmm. I have to either get rid of all those people or convert them, get a whole new fan base from scratch if none of them like me anymore. You know what I mean? And it's it's rough, but it, it's rough but seamless. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that um, inevitably you're going to have those people even if you were starting from scratch starting from oh yeah for sure starting from nothing and um ultimately you wouldn't you were on a trajectory to making music one way and having certain needs met and other ones unfulfilled so in that scenario you had your bills paid you had your monthly subscribers and listeners but you didn't have um, as much pride in the music you were making, you weren't no, uh, 100%. you weren't taking it in, in, into uncharted territory. You were doing something that felt redundant that everybody yeah. could do. Now you're doing something that that is unique. That you are firmly in your own lane, but you have to build that in an environment. And especially in rock music, a lot of those people aren't on Spotify and they're not, not on Instagram, especially like. Yeah. A lot of the biggest rock bands in the world, the you know the Breaking Benjamins or whatever, like their engagement is nowhere near some fourteen-year-old kid right. doing dances in his backyard, but they're playing to sixty thousand people a night. So, I think a big thing is just touring relentlessly, which must be exp extremely frustrating because I know you were on your way to doing that, as we all were. We'll get yeah. to that later. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, Shouts out airplanes one time. Yeah, I, it's okay. We'll we'll let it pass. It's all good. Yeah, We're chilling. Uh, <laughs> I just listened to the song "Fly Like a G6" again for the first time in a while, and it yeah. still goes so hard. I promise. 
I believe you. Sorry, go on. No, yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, before me and Andrew were making two songs a week, picking the best one, Matt was shooting a video for it every week. We were uploading them every week, full songs with music videos. I just feel like that kind of sh- you can't you can't make the best shit that way, you know. And now we spend you know a week making a song, two weeks finishing it, another week figuring out the best release plan. Like we, you know, that shit. And tough. even that is unbelievably quick for this genre. Most people take is forever. It? Hell yeah, it takes forever. Talk about. The fact that those are still your people. You're still here making music yeah. with Andrew. You're still here making videos with Matt. I think yeah. a lot of people in transitioning, a lot of people put a lot of resentment on the environment around them as if it's somehow everybody else's fault that their dreams aren't being fulfilled. So you woke up one day and realized you were willing to risk all this, but you were able to do so while still putting that on you instead of taking it out on the people around you and you guys are still here doing that i think that that's pretty rare and i'm curious if that was like something you had to do deliberately in your mind or if that sort of loyalty and that sort of like personal ownership just kind of came to you before before we started this remember we were talking about the the stepping on people's backs to get to the top or whatever type shit whatever the fucking saying was yeah fuck that saying i hate it um (laughs) um you know and when we when we transitioned a meet once again damn we're bringing this guy up relentlessly he deserves it makes a lot of sense he deserves it um he was like yo i love your production i love your video shit i like all the songs you're doing they just aren't huge songs. like every song could be way better like let me just help you let me guide you let me let you do the things that you actually want to do he's not there limiting our creative control that's the last thing he's doing actually and having him you know help us move along to the shit that we actually want to do and gives us something that we're actually proud of putting out instead of rush releasing a song every week i, I don't know you know what i mean it and then now we live together all three of us in my backyard we live back here and it's you know thank you for taking down the tents yeah it was a, vol- it was a badminton we play badminton a lot uh, you know you ever seen the ty lopez videos like in my garage well, in my backyard. No, I don't know what the fuck you're okay, talking I'll about. I'll send it to you later. Um, well, this this podcast is kind of like generous. It's I guess it's centered around this concept of why, and I feel like you very intuitively found music. You had these certain things in your past that developed these seeds of anger, maybe or aggression or resentment, and at an early age you learned how to put that in to the music that you're doing as opposed to translating it into real life. And um, I guess in writing music and doing all of this, like, is that your why? Do you think about doing that for somebody else? Like, what propels you to work this hard towards music? Is it about your own livelihood and and your own family? Or is it about the other person on the other end of the song? Because I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. Yeah. Um, But I think everyone's different. And and I do think it's always interesting to understand what drives people that are that are obsessive the way that I know that you are. I think shit changes. Reasonings change over time. Like at first you do it because you want to Um, for whatever that reason being anger, resentment, you just love music, whatever. Um, and then I think it, it changes once you see that it helps people or whatever. You're like more focused on okay, 
let me give people something that they can lean back on while it also lets me make myself feel better or more, you know, whatever that, that feeling is. And, um, I think, I think that that reason of why you do it is constantly changing. If it wasn't, I feel like your drive would stop. If you didn't have mm. a, a revolving door of reasons why you keep doing this shit, it would be over. Mm-hmm. You would give up already. I think you can't just love music and do it for ever. You have to have a, you have to have a setting goals, you know, reaching those goals. Another one comes, that's your driving point. Whether that is helping a bunch of people, whether that is selling out a tour, what, you know what I mean? But way, does I it ever you for, scare you? Like, I respect it, you for the mask, by the way. You, I can't believe you still have it on. I know. I know. I've had, I've thought about taking it off and it's very we're, hot I'm, we're at a safe distance, yeah, but at this point, point I'm just, I'm just stubborn. And I just think that some kid's going to be like, damn, if he could keep that shit on this whole interview, then I could keep it on for my grocery store trip. I fucking respect it. But, I, de- um, I, I suggest keeping it on in the grocery store, though. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but I guess the thing about that, though, is that if, if you know that your goals and your reasons are a revolving door, then you'll never get them because they keep moving. Of course. But so what the fuck are we even Then Why even try? Bro, it's fucking pointless. You're never going to... You're never going to reach your, you'll reach your nearest goal and then your nearest goal won't be your nearest goal anymore and it'll be the next one and then the next one and then the next one and then fucking, you, you're never going to figure it out. It's a bit of a bummer, but I guess in some ways it's, <laughs> I guess it's also kind of motivating. Like It's cool. It's new levels or whatever, you know? Imagine just playing Mario. New, new levels never stop. Yeah. You'd be excited. Right? Well, uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Headcount, who are some very good people who are trying to get people to remember that it is an election year, despite everything that's happening. There still is an election coming up with huge consequences for our generation. Um, and so if you text voter XX to 40649, you get registered for Headcount's election alerts. You can win a free guitar. Shouts out Gibson Guitars. And so for this segment, um, is there anything going on in the world right now that um, makes you want to have your voice heard and exercise your right to vote? Is there any one particular issue that, like, really you think is either not being talked about or just, like, really pisses you off? Healthcare. I mean, it's not that it's not being talked about, but that's what fucking pisses me. Healthcare is awful. Um... Obviously, I've told you before, like, my girlfriend's had number of surgeries, brain aneurysm, stroke, all that shit, and she can't get health care to save her life. To literally save her life, I guess. Not, not a fucking, not a saying. Uh, and that shit's, that's, it's trash. I know Canada has great health care, right? Canada does have great health care. Um, I've mentioned on this podcast before that um, my father, unfortunately, had to get um, surgery last year. Uh, thankfully he has recovered fully, but the entire process was, um, it, it was really smooth. It's really smooth. He got really good advice. He had multiple check-ins. He got this laparoscopic surgery and, uh, barely paid anything for it. And that which he did pay in the form of taxes, uh, it takes a great ownership in it. I think that there's this conversation around nationalism and patriotism in the world right now. People assume that to be nationalistic, 
is to have a fear of other of others of right. foreigners right. of immigrants um you know I, I i am a dual citizen my girlfriend's an immigrant and what what somebody is saying by having a giant american flag waving in their front lawn means something different in this generation than it has in the past for sure she thinks that by seeing a, a flag waving in somebody's lawn that means that she's not allowed in for the color of her skin or for her religious preference. And um, I think that when I think about nationalism, it's really, it's a tool with which you can um, create mass cooperation, you know? Like, so back in the day, you only knew the 100 other people in your village or whatever. But as human population expanded, we needed to have structure around how resources were allocated. The way that taxes in California and New York are going to supporting Kentucky and you know right. states in the middle of America right now in a tragedy like this. So in theory, nationalism is actually a tool to encourage cooperation. And I know in Canada, certainly there are certain people that disagree, of course, but my dad takes great pride in paying more in taxes having immigrated from america to canada because he knows that that paying an extra 10 20 percent means the person next to him on the street is going to be able to get that same surgery that he got and not have to bankrupt his or her family for, that. for their life and, honestly, yeah. and the other thing about it if this is teaching us anything right now um it's that we are a hive you know, like the way that humans have to get along, especially in, in cities where there's much more reliance on mass transit. Like, yo, if the person next to you on the bus is sick, you're getting sick. Yeah. So this idea that any version of healthcare is private at all, like, no, if, if, if one part of the system shuts down, the whole system shuts down. So I think that hopefully um, certain people are waking up to our responsibility for one another and healthcare is just one example of that. But unfortunately I just have a hard time remaining optimistic about whether that's realistic when certain people um, are only getting news from places that have no obligation to give you facts. So some people think that America is leading the charge here and we are leading the charge in dead bodies, in people that yeah. are sick right now so yeah. i don't want to get too into it because this is a podcast about pursuing your purpose and finding your purpose but real quick i do want to talk about um if there's one thing that this covid19 bullshit has shown artists it's really the value of being self-reliant so you know there were certain situations i feel so grateful that the bulk of the creative work i knew I needed to do this year was already done by mid-March when it comes to writing songs because the way that I work is very team-oriented, but the way that you guys have it set up here, the way that you take such pride in producing and engineering some of your own vocals, engineering the vocals for our song, like we did our whole song together. Um, we wrote it on Zoom. I recorded the vocals on my end. You tuned them and produced them. I mean, you didn't tune them. I never used tune. My vocals are immaculate he all the time. He never tunes but, his vocals. This but man in theory, is fucking... you would have tuned them if I needed it, which I absolutely didn't. No chance. Never. Um, 
And he so, doesn't need distortion either. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In the vocals. In Talk the vocals. about um, like how you've been, you guys have navigated this time. Um, what have you learned from it, if anything? Um, and what about this has sucked as well? Yeah. Uh, luckily, as we've already talked about, I live with Matt and Andrew, so we do not need a social distance. We can hug it out all day. You know what I mean? That's, uh, that's lucky for us. Um, and... Andrew's the only person that works on my production 95% of the time. So we make our shit together. We shoot our one takes for, you know, the sake of getting shit out there. Um, and it, it's been great. There's been no difference in our creative process, honestly, because this is how we've always done our shit, just me and him. You know what I mean? We do take Zoom sessions now a lot because a lot of people are more available than they ever have been, no touring everything falling through so you get to meet a lot of people that you probably never would have worked with through zoom so that's good for that but um and then i've been engineering myself since i was like 14 years old so it's kind of you know instilled in what i do and uh yeah we definitely we knocked that song on like an hour like yeah we really banged it out we had a different idea that we had started and then it wasn't really going as well as i would have liked but then we just switched gears, and um, Andrew also produced um, my song How About Now with Femme, so he did two songs on this acoustic project, and uh, I can't think of a more appropriate way to wrap up this this iteration. Um, this will be the last acoustic song that we put out this year. We will be doing um, more XXY sessions and seasons. I'm really looking forward to that, but... Um, this has been really fun, and it, I knew that inevitably we would be able to collaborate and tour together. And um, I, I, I'm very grateful because these teams are so small yeah. and incestuous. Um, <laughs> I feel very grateful that we can be truly supportive of one another, and I really want you guys to win. So thank you for taking the time. I can't believe I made it through this whole thing with this mask on. If I can You're do wild, this shit man. sitting here sweating for 40 minutes— I know you're asking. I would stay like to home. point out real quick that we are about. I said this already. Forty feet, thirty feet. I don't really know feet because I grew up in Canada, so we could be as many as three hundred feet. We away could be from a kilometer other. away, for all I know. No, we're definitely not a kilometer. What's but a we're kilometer? some feet. I'm gonna take this off, but once the camera stops rolling, and then and then I'm gonna leave. Point but is, we are social distancing. He came through the back gate. We never shook hands. We did not hug it out as we normally do. Let's dap it up, bro. Thank you so much yes, for your sir. time. You're the best. Appreciate you. Thanks. That's a wrap.